What's up, guys? Is there anyone out there? <laughs> hey, well, welcome to our last bonfire together. I've got two friends with me tonight hanging out with me. Go ahead and state your name for the, for the record. I'm Joshua. I'm Nathan. Joshua and Nathan. Hey, these guys were in my small group way back in the day when I was their small group leader, and I feel like we're like back at small group, hanging out by the fire, having a good time. Um, we, we've been through this in a series called Holy Ghost Stories, and one of the interesting things about this series is that we've looked at the role of the Holy Spirit, especially starting in and looking in Acts, in the book of Acts. And that's kind of the book that's like the start of the New Testament. Like after Jesus dies, he has this combo with his disciples, he's taken up into heaven, and then poof, the book of Acts starts. And if you remember, we talked about a verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it said, you will receive power or dunamis. You remember that word? It stands for, or it's like a, the word from which we get the word, does anyone remember? Dynamite. So the Holy Spirit power, the dunamis, it says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then we found out actually the Holy Spirit came in us. This is, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And we said that in that moment, all these people came to right there. And so the ends of the earth were there. But as the book continues, the disciples, the apostles start to go out. And interestingly, it actually says that that word witnesses is a word in Greek, which is uh, the word from which we get the, the English word for martyr. So he's essentially saying, you will be martyrs, you'll be my witnesses, but some of you are going to die. Some of you are going to pass away. And so tonight we're talking about the story about a guy who starts as a villain, and that is the story of Saul. Saul starts out as a villain, and he is an evil person. And so I want to try something with you guys, if you're paying attention with me. I'm going to say that Saul was evil, and I want you to respond and ask, how evil? So let's give this a try. Saul was evil. He was so evil that I cannot even, you can't even comprehend what he did. Now, it's going to get a little graphic for a second because he was just that evil. And, and essentially, what happens is we, we said that Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to go, you're going to proclaim the gospel. The disciples go and do that. And one of the first people, one of the people that we would say was one of the first martyrs of the New Testament was a dude named Stephen. And Stephen went out and he started to proclaim the message of the gospel. He started to proclaim the message of Jesus in different places. And he gets to this one town and he starts to preach the message. And the people that are there get so frustrated, so angry at him for just preaching about Jesus that it says they actually grabbed him, they drug him outside of town, and they started to stone him. Now, again, I don't want to get super graphic just for the sake of it, but I want us to understand what that means because sometimes we read the Bible, it's just like, oh, they took him out, he stoned him, he died, he was the first martyr, next chapter. No, they, I want us to picture and understand what happened. They picked up rocks and they threw it at him until he died, all because he was proclaiming the message of Jesus. But you see, the Holy Spirit, we said, is powerful. The Holy Spirit was inside of him. The Holy Spirit gave him power to be able to share that 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 message, the message of Jesus. But while he's out there, while he's preaching the, the word of Jesus and, and they get him, they drag him, and they're getting ready to stone them, there's this tiny little verse tucked away that you almost would miss if you weren't really paying attention. And it says that while they were doing this, while they were stoning him, there was a guy there named Saul. Now remember, Saul was evil. Let's try it again. Remember, Saul was evil. So evil that it says that while they're stoning Stephen, 
It says that Saul was there holding the jackets, holding the coats for the people doing the stoning. How evil? So evil that he's willing to be like, hey, dude, you're about to throw a stone. I don't want you to like, like get caught in your jacket and like, like lob it. Or like, it's like, I want you to like take your jacket. I'll hold your jacket. I want you to be able to wind up and throw that fastball. Like, like I want you to be able to throw so well and so hard that I'm willing to, to come and help you and hold your jacket. And think about that. That's incredibly evil. He was participating by helping the people stoning. Well, after that, he grows in, in popularity. He grows in, in notoriety. People start to recognize this dude, Saul. And it says that he starts to travel from town to town to synagogue to synagogue. He's going to where the Jewish people would come together. He's going to where the people are, are preaching the message of Jesus. And he's getting letters from the officials of that synagogue, from like the, the priests of the synagogue to say, hey, is it all right with you? If someone comes to preach, can I take them, arrest them, or kill them? And he's getting permission to do that. And he's going from town to town to town. He starts to build up a reputation. And then one day, he's going to a town called Damascus. Now, he's already written a letter, and he sends a courier or someone to get this letter from the, the, the high priest of the synagogue that when he gets to Damascus, he's going to find the, the, the followers, they called him, of the way. He's going to find the followers of the way of, of Jesus, and he's going to arrest them. And he gets this permission, this written agreement to go do that. And while he's walking on the road to Damascus, it says that all of a sudden, a bright light from heaven shined in his face. Have you ever gone to the bathroom in the middle of the night and flipped on the light switch? Ah, it's the worst. And something probably like that, 10 times brighter, 10 times more intense, 10 times stronger happens. And when that happens, he looks up and immediately he realizes that it's Jesus. And he says, Lord. And he calls out to him with, his, with God's name. He says, Lord. Jesus responds, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's asking why he's putting people in jail. Why is, is he killing people who are proclaiming his name? And he has this conversation with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And at the end of the, the conversation, he, he can't see. He says his eyes were open, but he couldn't see anything. And Jesus tells him to, to go into the town, to go to Damascus and to wait there. And so the, the guys that were traveling with them, they, they could see the bright light, they could hear the voice, but they couldn't see anyone. But, but Saul, in that moment, was able to see Jesus, and then is blinded. It says that he goes into town and he waits for three days, three nights, no food, no drink. I know, you're already hungry tonight. Imagine that for three days and three nights. And he's sitting there and he's waiting. And then all the way from another part of town, Jesus has a conversation with a man named Ananias. And he says to Ananias, you need to go talk to this guy named Saul. Now, Ananias isn't dumb. He's heard of Saul. He's heard of the reputation. We said that, that Saul was evil. Okay. That he had heard of his reputation. He knew that he was an evil person. And he's a little bit nervous about going to find him. And so he has a conversation with Jesus. He's like, wait, are you, wait, Saul? Like Saul, from the Saul. Like, like maybe you don't know, but, but he's known for like putting people in prison and, and killing people. And, and, and Jesus says, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You need to go and, and pray for him. You need to go meet with him. And he tells him where to find him. And we're gonna look at that in a few minutes. And so he goes over and he finds Saul and he puts hands on him and, and he prays for him. And it says, in that moment, almost like, like scales coming off his eyes, suddenly Saul could see again. And in that moment, after he could see and he has this conversation with Ananias, he, he says, I'm ready to be baptized. 
When he's baptized, he stands up and they go out and they start to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I want us to look a little bit more in depth at the story, but before we do anything else, would you guys close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Jesus, thank you so much for your scriptures. Thank you so much for the Bible. Thank you so much, Father, for what we can learn tonight. I pray, Lord, as we look together this story that you would speak to us, that you would clearly show us ourselves in the story. Father, as we think about the Holy Spirit, as we think about your power, would you come and transform us, as we often say, from the inside out, Lord. We ask all of these in your precious name. Amen. If you have a Bible tonight, I would ask you to go ahead and pull that out. If you have it on your phone, you can pull it out. If you have a journal or a way to take notes, maybe even more importantly tonight, take notes, please. Because I want to do something a little bit different than how we've taught in the past. I simply want to go through tonight and give us five observations, five observations from the conversion story of Saul. Five things that we can learn from this story. Saul is persecuting Christians. He goes walking on the road to Damascus. He has an encounter with Jesus, bright lights. And then someone comes and prays for him. And there's five things that we can learn from the story. And my hope is this, my prayer is this, that tonight, maybe one, maybe two, I don't think it's gonna be all five because there are different uh, levels and different uh, uh, observations, different intricacies. So probably not all five, but maybe one or two of these would be something that really stirs in your heart. Something that just kind of hits you in a different way. Something that maybe you've never seen before in the scriptures. And that tonight as you leave, you would think about these things. And so our first observation that we need to understand is this, is where do we see ourselves in this story? Where do we see ourselves in this story? If you need to write it down, go ahead and scribble that. Where do we see ourselves in this story? Because most of us would say this, Saul was evil. How evil? Man, he was this awful person to be willing to go out and kill Christians, to be willing to go and find believers and put them in jail. He was so evil that he was willing to travel by foot without pay, to go find other believers and, and persecute the church of Jesus. And so if we're reading the story, we're like, man, I am not like Saul because mm, I love me some Jesus songs. I love to come in church and sing some praise and worship. I love to have a, a Jesus sticker on my Bible. I love to, whatever it is. We would identify not with Saul because we're followers of Christ. Man, I go to church. Maybe I'm the dude in the synagogue that Saul's trying to, to persecute. Maybe I'm the person who God calls to go talk to people who are, are tough and, and, and have to have hard conversations with them. But what's interesting is this. When we stop and study about Saul, we find out that Saul was actually someone who was a very Jewish person who culturally knew all about the Jewish culture. He knew all about the Old Testament. He was, up until that point, someone who we would say was, was an Israelite, someone who, who, who followed the teaching of Yahweh and of the Torah, in fact, he knew the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by memory. Think about that. Think about how many verses of the Bible you know by heart. Okay, maybe it's like three. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's ten. Dude, dude knew five books of the Bible. And these weren't easy books. Like Genesis, okay, maybe. It's kind of like a story. Exodus, still a story. Leviticus, difficult. Numbers, very difficult. Deuteronomy, and he knew all five of these by heart. He had studied to become a priest. He had studied to become a, a, a leader in the church. He was a Pharisee, which meant at one point, at one time, he was someone who knew the scriptures, who shared them with other people, and he was a religious leader, and still he needed Jesus. 
You see, there's this one conversation that he has in, in Philippians where he's talking about how good he is and, and how much he can boast. And, and he says, man, if anyone had a reason to boast, he goes, I am one who could boast. I'm one who could be like, look at me. Because he starts listing off all the ways. He says, I was a Jew of Jews. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day, which was a big deal for their culture. He goes, I knew the law. I kept the law. He goes, I was persecuting believers for the sake of Jewish culture and Jewish religion. He goes, I was like, like cream of the crop. I was one of the excellent ones. I knew the scriptures. I memorized it. And still, in his heart, he was evil. And I want us to think about that for a second because so many of us have been going to church for our whole lives. We we know the stories of the Bible. We know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we know Genesis. And we know all the right answers, when to say Jesus, when to say God. We, We know all of these things. We know all the songs. We know all the words to the songs. Maybe we're even a part of serving and helping and volunteering. And I'm not saying that we're going around persecuting and killing Christians but it's possible for us to be in the church and not know what it's like to have a relationship with God. That was Paul, or Saul at that point. He was a religious leader. He was in the synagogue teaching people the laws of God, the commands of God, and yet he missed the story of Jesus. He missed the life and the transformation of Jesus. Somehow it passed right by him. So where do we see ourselves in the story? It's easy for us to know everything about Jesus and not know Jesus himself. The second thing that we see and observe from the story is that no one is too far gone from being transformed by the Holy Spirit. Nobody is too far gone from being transformed by the Holy Spirit. This whole series has been about the Holy Spirit, and tonight we're focusing on the power of the Holy Spirit. The power can transform anyone. The power of the Holy Spirit can bring transformation to any person. We said that Saul was evil. We said that Saul was evil. Thank you. Here it says in, in, in chapter 7, it's talking about how evil he was. In verses five, uh, sorry, in verse 58 says this. This is what we talked about. It said, they cast him, Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And he, Saul, witnessed Sorry, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. It says in in chapter 8, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose a day, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and all were scattered. It says, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged men and women off, and he committed them to prison. Then we get to chapter 9, it says, Saul was still breathing threats in murders against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked for letters of the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them to Jerusalem. And the idea was that he would put them in jail or do worse with them. You see, he was the worst of the worst. He was not a good dude. He was not the kind of person you want to sit next to and, and just chill. He was an evil person because he was scheming. He was willing to murder. He was willing to put people in jail for no reason. He was willing to lie. He was willing to accuse people. He's not the dude you would be hanging out with. In fact, I would say like this. If you found out that he was coming to town, you would probably be like, I need to hide for a few days. Because if you were a Christian, if you were a follower of Christ, and he comes to town to arrest all the followers of Christ, this is not the dude that you want to meet in a dark alley. And yet... He becomes transformed by the power of the gospel. He gets transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So many people, we write, we write people off. We kind of think, nah, that person can't change. That person can't be different. That person can't go through that. Even in our schools, in our friendships, in our circles, and, and in our world, we look at people and we think that person can't fill in the blank. They can. The power of the Holy Spirit. They can be different. You know, one of the things we've talked about a lot in our student ministry is, is that there's no difference in sin. Sin is sin. And so whether you kill someone or whether you lie, that, that, that's sin. Now, there's different consequences for that. If you lie, you probably won't end up in jail. If you killed someone, you would. But sinning in the eyes of God is the same thing. And sometimes we look at people and we think, oh, look at what they're doing. Look at the choices that they're making. They're not just saying a bad word every once in a while. Man, they're, they're cheating on tests and they're sneaking out of school and they're, they're going out to parties. That There's no way that, that God can change them. Yes, there is a way. And it's called the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see that Saul was able to be changed through an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit inside of him. And if Saul, who is persecuting believers, could change, then anyone that you come into contact with, even yourself, even if you think, Sal, I appreciate your talk, I appreciate coming to student ministry, but I've just done so many things that no one knows about or so many things that if you found out you would not like me, God can still change you. So where do we find ourselves in the story no one is too far gone to be transformed. The next thing is that our identity can change. It's interesting because his name is Saul, but if you jump over to chapter 13 and you look over in verse 9, in chapter 13, it actually says this as it's talking about him. Chapter 13, looking at verse 9, it's talking about him and it says Saul, who was also called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he looked intently at him, at the person he's conversating with. It says that his name was later changed to Paul. And so God comes in and totally changes his identity. We're going to read about Ananias in a second, too. And he comes in, when he lays hands on him, he calls him brother. You see, suddenly God is starting to change the identity of who he is, of what he lived like, of what he's known for. God starts to change his identity. You see, one of the things that happens when people come into a relationship with God is that probably you used to do things or you used to live a certain way that people hear about this and you develop what we call a reputation. You see, a famous pastor once said that if you focus on your character, God will take care of your reputation. If you focus on your character, God will take care of your reputation. I know firsthand reputations are so hard to change. If someone pegs you a certain way, if someone sees you in a certain way, it's so hard to be seen differently. If I can be super honest with you guys, can, can I share a story with you? When I got to Bible college in 2005, which feels like a million years ago, I got to Bible college. I had traveled from Italy, and when I got there the first week of school, I looked around school, and I was so excited because of all the ladies. I did. I got to Bible college and I saw all these girls who were my age. They loved Jesus. They were pretty. They were beautiful. Some had Southern accents. I was just like, man, I'm in heaven. I was like, this is incredible. And I would go over and I'd talk to a girl and we'd hang out or get coffee. And the next week I had to go to a movie with another girl. And the next week I had to go talk to someone else. And I developed a reputation around campus of being a ladies man. And some people may think that's cool. That's awesome. It's not. Especially not at a Bible college when people are serious about their walk with God. Being a ladies' man was not a good thing. And man, when I realized that, when, when God showed me that, he started to work in my heart and, and started to change me, I was so disappointed in myself that I wanted to change. 
And so I remember I'd be like, okay, I need to stop. I need to be different. I'm changed. I'm changed. I'm changed. I'd walk in the cafeteria, and, and I could tell that, that people still saw me like that. No, no, I'm going to be different. I, don't know. I won't talk to anyone. I see a girl, hey, what's going on? Oh, look at my ladies, man. Oh. I had this internal struggle because I wanted to be different. I wanted everyone to know that I was different. And for that whole first year, I had this reputation that I couldn't shake. I couldn't stand. I was frustrated with myself. And I remember when I left freshman year, God just really started to speak to my heart. He started to show to me, hey, here's the things that you do. Here's the way that you talk, the things that you say. And I was like, I need to change this. And I had a really long summer. It was a good summer and a hard summer. And when I came back, I knew that I was different. And I started to focus on my walk with God. One of the things that I did was every single night on campus, our, our campus like road, when you come onto CIU's campus, you go down this long driveway called the Boulevard, and it would wrap around campus. It came all the way back up. I don't know how long it was. It was probably like if you do the whole thing, probably about a mile. And so I would go and I would walk that almost every night. I would walk and I would just pray. I would pray and I asked God and people would drive and honk their horn and her wave. And, and I would just pray and say, Lord, I want to be focused on you. I want to be in love with you. I want my focus to be on you. And as I focused on my walk and relationship with God, as I let him work on my character, eventually he started to take care of my reputation as well. And I wasn't known as that anymore because my heart changed and everything inside of me started to change. Because of the Holy Spirit, you can change now, yeah, for Saul, it was physically, it was, it was a name, it was something tangible, but maybe there's something about you that you don't like. Maybe there's something about your personality that frustrates you. Maybe there's a behavior that you wish you could do differently. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that gave power to raise Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. If you're a follower of Christ, that power is inside of you. And you can change who you are. The Spirit can change your identity. So where do you see yourself in this story? Remember that no one is too far gone to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our identity can change. Number four, when we are transformed, we can't help but tell others. When we're transformed, we can't help but tell others. You see, the first thing that happens here with Saul at the end of verse uh, of chapter nine, towards the end, in verse 18, it says, immediately scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. He arose and he was baptized, which is a symbol of the change of the transformation in him. Verse 19, taking food, he was strengthened. Remember, he hadn't eaten in three days and three nights. He didn't drink anything. He eats food. He's strengthened. I don't know if it was like Wheaties or what, but he was like charged up. Then it says, for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. Verse 20, immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. You see, something happens to him. Something changes in him, and immediately he has to go proclaim it. He has to go tell others. Isn't that truth, true about good news? If you lose something, that's why there's the parable of the lost coin, of the lost sheep, of, of the lost son. That whenever you find something that was lost, you get excited about it. Uh, I didn't lose something physically, but the other day I was looking at my bank account and I couldn't find where I had placed $200. I was turning in a receipt and I felt like I was missing this money. And as I was walking and thinking about it and looking at my receipts and looking at paperwork, I was telling people on staff like, man, I'm not sure what I did. Man, I really messed up. I, I can't find this money. And, and then wouldn't you know, by the end of the day, I, I printed out my, my, my card statement. I started to look at all the numbers really carefully with the calculator because I'm bad at math. And I found where the $200 went. But I was so excited. I went out and texted everyone that I talked to that day. I said, I found the money. Because whenever something good happens to us, that moves us to want to share it with others. That's the whole reason why on social media we like to share memes. 
because you see something that makes you laugh. It's funny. It's hilarious. I got to tell someone, oh, so-and-so's going to love this. Oh, they would love a screenshot of that because we know that it's exciting for us and we want to share with other people. When Saul is transformed and becomes Paul, he has to share this with other people. His life looks so different. As a Pharisee, his life depended on the rules. His life depended on, on doing everything that they thought they had to do. He couldn't do anything on the Sabbath. He couldn't eat certain things. He had to follow a strict set of rules. He was put under this law that like crushed him and, and, and provided guilt and shame. And suddenly he walks into a relationship with God and he gets freedom. He gets God's yoke, Jesus' yoke, which says it's light, it's, it's easy, it's, it's, it's not heavy. And he decides to share that with other people. That joy starts to stir up in him and he proclaims the message so much so that if you know the Bible, that a lot of the New Testament are letters that he has written to believers, letters that he's written to other churches. He says, I heard you guys are struggling, here's a letter. And he writes to them. He goes, I heard that you guys are having a fight. Let me write you a letter, tell you what I think about this. He would say, hey, I want to come visit you. Let me write you a letter. It sends him a letter. And, and, and these letters put together are what have formed the New Testament, the Bible for us. Because of the transformation that the Spirit did inside of him, he receives this joy that he has to share with others. He has to proclaim his message with other people. And I often ask Christians, I often then ask students, followers of Christ, who have you shared God's message with lately? Because the truth is this, if, if we're, we're not excited about it, we're not probably sharing it with anyone. But if we understand daily that Jesus died for our sins and that we deserve the, the worst punishment ever because of our sin, even if it was small, even if it wasn't like Saul killing people, if we sinned, then, then we deserve punishment for that. And yet Jesus paid for that punishment for us. That should stir up an excitement inside of us, so much so that we would want to tell other people about it. So where do you see yourself in the story? Do you realize that nobody is too far gone to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? Even you, even if you've done the worst of worst things. Your identity can change. And when we're transformed, we can't help but tell others. And lastly, the Spirit may ask us to do uncomfortable things. The Spirit may ask us to do uncomfortable things. It says here in chapter 9 in the story in verse 10, it says, There was now a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise, go to the street called Straight. In the house of Judas, look for the man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he might regain sight. So the spirit comes to Ananias and says, hey, here's what you need to do. He goes, someone is praying and he is seeing in a vision that you are going to come and pray for him. By the way, here's where you're going to find him. By the way, his name is Saul. And I love Ananias because he's so real. He's so honest. He responds to him. He says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief of priests to bind all who call in your name. He says, Jesus, are you sure you want me to go see this guy? Because this guy is famous for locking us up. This guy is famous for murdering us. This guy is famous for putting people to jail. You want me to go see him? And Jesus answers, Yes. He's seeing in a vision that someone is praying for him. He's seeing in a vision a man named Ananias coming to pray for him. And the Lord says, go. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And this is the beautiful part. Ananias comes out. It says he lays hands on him. And he says, brother. 
And we've talked about how following Christ creates a family between us, a family bond. The power of the Spirit transforms us to be part of the family of Christ. And in this moment, Ananias understands from Jesus that Paul is, or Saul, later to become Paul, is an instrument of his. So he decides to obey and he puts hands on him and he goes, Brother, imagine what that would have felt like to be Saul, to know that you were there to persecute, to kill to imprison other believers. And now one of them comes to the door after you've had this crazy experience with the bright light and the voice of Jesus. And he puts his hand on him. I don't know if Ananias was scared, like, 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 like worried, or if he was just like, all right, Jesus, if you're asking this of me, Holy Spirit, give me the power to do this. But he walks in, he puts his hand on his shoulder, and he says, brother. And he speaks with him, and he prays with him. And like scales, these things fall off of his eyes, and suddenly he can see again. It says he eats, he gets baptized, and immediately he starts proclaiming the message of Jesus. Sometimes the Spirit's gonna ask us to do hard things. Now I'll say this, people have done weird and wacky stuff in the world because God told them or Jesus told them. And let me just be honest, the Spirit's never gonna ask you to do something that goes against Scripture. So if it's something weird you think Jesus is asking of you, but it's not in the Bible, it's not the Spirit. But sometimes the Spirit will prompt us to talk to someone, to share with someone, to confess to someone, or to love someone who seems unlovable. And in those moments, it's super difficult to obey. In those moments, it's hard to do something about it. But in those moments, we need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to listen to what the Holy Spirit is asking of us, how he's stirring inside of our lives. One time I ignored that call. I ignored that prompt. There's, I went to this high school in, in, in Italy, and, and I had seen this kid a couple of times who walked by with, with a mask on. This is before, way, 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 way before COVID and masks and all that. And it was strange to see this guy come to school with a mask on. And then we stopped seeing him around school, and eventually we got a notice that, that said he was sick. He had some kind of uh, cancer. He was a young, young guy. He was probably a year, maybe two years older than me. At the time, he was like 14, 15 years old. And we got this notice that he was sick and that he wasn't doing well. And uh, it was really strange because they asked us in school to pray for him. And this wasn't a Christian country. Italy's not a Christian nation. But the teacher actually looked at me and she asked me if I could pray for him. And I said, I'd be happy to. And so I, I got all my classmates together and I prayed. And I went home and I told my parents about this. And my mom said, hey, maybe you should write him a letter. Share the message of the gospel with him. And I felt this prompting from the Spirit to do something about that. I was like, man, maybe I should reach out. Maybe I should write something. And, and so I sat down with a piece of paper. And, and obviously, like, I get it. It wasn't cool. It wasn't fun. And so I started to write. And I was like, ah, that sounds dumb. So I crumbled up the paper and threw it away. So I started to write again. And I'd get like halfway. I'd be like, this is so dumb. I threw it away. I did this probably three or four times. And eventually, I, I wrote this letter. I put it in my backpack. And I didn't know what to do with it. And I saw someone who I knew could get the letter to him, and I was just too embarrassed. I was just too, I thought this was a dumb idea, and I felt the Lord prompting me. I felt the Spirit prompting me, and my mom would ask me about it. I was like, no, this, I just, this is not what I need to do. I was like, this is just weird. Like, he's going to get a letter from me. He doesn't even know me. And then one day I walked up to school, and there was a somber mood in the room, the somber mood of the school, and, and I asked what happened, and they told me this guy had passed away. Guys, I had ignored the Holy Spirit in that moment. I just felt crushed. I was like, man, if I'm an idiot. If only I would have listened. 
If only I would have answered. If only I would have done what I felt God was calling me to do. I went home that day sick to my stomach. And the next day, the day after that, it was probably for two or three days until eventually I ended up going to the funeral service that they held for him. Our whole school showed up. Everyone went. And it, it was super sad. It was super difficult. Uh, his sister was there. His family was there. His sister was a grade younger than me. I knew who she was. And it was just tough. And while I was there, I just noticed someone. I was like, wait a second. I think I know that person. And I noticed someone in the crowd. And so when the service was done, I made my way through the crowd. I went to go find that person. And it was the, the wife of one of the pastors that my dad was friends with. They had been to our house for dinner. They had been to our house for events and prayer meetings. We had gone to visit their church. And the pastor's wife was there. And I started to talk to her. And she told me that she was a nurse. And that she had had an opportunity to, to meet with this boy and, and take care of him while he was in the hospital. And, and they actually got to know the family so much that when he needed more treatment, they went to another hospital where her son worked. And both her and her son had the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with this boy. And eventually he believed in Jesus before he passed away. And in that moment, man, I felt this, this relief. Obviously he was, he was still gone and it was sad and it was difficult. But, but I felt that day Jesus said, I gave you a second chance. I want you to know this story still is a happy ending. He goes, but, but I need you to listen to me. I want you to listen when I prompt you. I want you to listen when I put something on your heart. And so sometimes the Spirit may ask us to do something difficult or strange. Are we willing to obey? Are we willing to listen? Because we don't always have time or a second chance or another conversation or another time to do something. The Holy Spirit may be asking us to act. But the beautiful thing is the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do these things. So where do you see yourself in this story? No one is too far gone to be transformed by the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Our identity, our very selves, who we are can change because of the Holy Spirit. When we are transformed, we tell others. And sometimes the Holy Spirit may ask us to do strange things, uncomfortable things unconventional things. But if we're willing to listen, he also will do great and powerful things through us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, tonight, as we wrap up this series, as we wrap up these messages on you, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come in a powerful way. As we sing tonight, would you stir in our hearts would you convict us where we need to be convicted and challenge us and encourage us? Holy Spirit, you know exactly where we are, where we find ourselves, what we're thinking, what we wish we weren't thinking, what we wish was different in our lives, what we want to change, the reputation that we're embarrassed of, or, or whatever it is, Father. I pray tonight that you would work in our hearts, that you'd remind us to view others as worthy of your death and resurrection, that we would see other people, maybe even like Saul, that that we think are unlovable, unforgivable, and you say, no, my spirit can work in them. Maybe, Jesus, we need to offer that grace to ourselves that we think that we're too far gone. And you say, no, if I can change Saul, I can change your heart. And Jesus, maybe your Holy Spirit is asking us to do difficult things, to confess something, to move forward, to have a hard conversation, to ask for forgiveness, to confront someone and have a difficult conversation with them. Whatever it is, Holy Spirit, that you're asking us to do, give us your supernatural power, dunamis, dynamite strength to go out and to do that thing. Jesus, work in our hearts and transform us.
We ask these things in your name. Amen.